Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. When it comes to moving fashion goods around the world, the logistical challenges are not easing up. Zero tolerance COVID measures have parts of China under a prolonged lockdown. Labor shortages and conflicts are grinding the gears on the west coast of the U.S., just as negotiations with the Port Workers Union are getting underway. And on top of it, capacity, congestion, and pricing continue their uncertain dance. I'm Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal, and here to help us make sense of it all is Vincent Acapella, Executive Vice President, Growth and Strategy, and Freight Forwarder, Alba Wheels Up. Vincent, welcome. Let's start with China. We got severe lockdowns. Uh, goods getting banned to seas and our shores due to forced labor concerns. Uh, so dealing with China is becoming increasingly more difficult. Do you see any reprieve on the horizon? Um, at the last count, there were about 300 ships off the coast of Shanghai um, waiting to berth. There are containers moving out of Chinese ports. Um, the question is, are warehouses open? Are distribution centers open? Businesses open. What we're see, what we're hearing right now is that by mid June, there is going to be a substantial opening up of the of the um, of the Chinese side of the supply chain. And in the short term, when you talk about a reprieve um, uh, on, on Trans Pacific capacity issues, uh, I think you'll see China open up. But the question is, what does that create? Right? Does that create a surge? of demand for capacity. The other issues you mentioned about um, uh, labor, forced labor issues and uh, uh, trade remedies and and import policy issues, those are longer term uh, uh, issues that I think are going to linger and stay uh, along with geopolitical issues. But in the shorter term, you have this potential opening up of of China in mid-June and this this anticipated demand for capacity. The I say anticipated demand because a month ago, you know, prior to Ukraine and inflation and all that, a month ago you would say China's going to open up and it's going to be this tremendous demand for capacity. Um, and 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 many believe that still will be the case. What will that do to pricing? What will that do to the ability to get goods uh, out of China? into the U.S. West Coast or the U.S. Gulf or even the U.S. East Coast. But, um, you know, uh, uh, it looks like the demand will still be there. Uh, we are hearing from many companies um, in Q1, it was a 5 to 6% drop in consumer demand uh, for consumer goods, roughly. Uh, is that enough to translate into a loosening of capacity? Uh, not sure. So you, you just mentioned Ukraine. So, so while we don't have a lot of fashion manufacturing coming out of Russia, the effects of the conflict with Ukraine are seeping into the myriad parts of the economy and the supply chain. 
Um, how has this impacted the global flow of goods? We're in the United States, but if you're in the EU, you are majorly impacted um, by, by being in Europe. Um, I think if you ask me, my short answer, Eddie, is um, we saw a spike in fuel, right? And we saw a spike in uh, trans-Pacific fuel, and then we see a spike in domestic fuel for U.S. distribution, right? So my short answer is, is fuel. You know, we definitely we already see uh, some some upward pressure on fuel pricing. I want to talk about the West Coast dock worker contract, which is set to expire July 1st. Correct. So discord is already brewing. You know, the negotiations that are starting, you know, I think last week or so between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and Pacific Maritime Association, that's underway. You know, but what are you foreseeing with this situation? Back last summer, there was a consensus among many of the stakeholders that any any additional disruption was definitely not helpful, whether it's labor disruption or not. Um, now, at the end of May, I still hold that view, and I think um, that it's something that the Biden administration is watching very closely as well, because let's face it, um, you know, there are headwinds. Uh, in the economy, and um, we had quite a bit of disruption. Uh, I will tell you, having spent 32 years out here um, in Los Angeles, you know, since I was 21, and having seen, we haven't seen a strike in our in your or my lifetime, right? We've had lockouts, we've had slowdowns. So um, I'm going to punt and say that you probably, you may not get an agreement by July 1, but I don't know if that translates into I don't believe that translates into a work stoppage or a disruption, right? So technically, you can get an agreement in September, right? But you could still have both sides, you know, showing up and, and working through the summer. And um, that may very well uh, – that's one possibility. Another possibility is there is an agreement by July 1. But if you don't have an agreement by July 1, do I think that results in a work stoppage? No. I believe that um, there is not an appetite for a stoppage in July. You've hinted at this a little bit, cooling of demand. You know, one answer to the, the push-pull of congestion and capacity, not to mention the soaring prices, is a cooling off of, of consumer demand. Right. What are you realistically projecting here, and what will be the net result of a, of a reduced merchandise sales against lower shipping costs? I think that uh, – to say the least, the past two years were unprecedented in our lifetimes, economically, personally, culturally, however you want to slice it. Add on to uh, geopolitical activities since January, we're still in an unprecedented time. I don't think we could use any past models as a predictor for what might happen. So, um, yeah, I, I, I still go back to maybe the, the, the pre-pandemic or, or pre-capacity uh, uh, crunch pricing might have been too low. And last summer's pricing was definitely outrageously high. And maybe there's going to be a medium, but it, it's all going to be pegged to demand for capacity, which is pegged to consumer demand as well. So I still think it's a function of consumer demand. Now, this week, we're getting these reports of, you know, large inventories now in North America. And I think there's there's some um, mixed reporting on how quickly that inventory is going to move, right? In the past few days, or in the past few weeks, we could say Amazon missed, Target missed, Walmart missed, 
Cole's missed. And it's a function of too much inventory at too expensive, at, 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 at too, too much of an expensive price and a cooling down of demand. A lot of people looked at these costs as one-time expense. Extraordinary circumstance. This is not going to be the new cost of goods. Separate line item, move forward. And I said, no, there is a new price of goods that's going to be realized here. And people are going to have to figure this out. Because the inventory was so lean and, and they were able to sell at a higher price, I think now the mistake is people are thinking it's going to go down, and it's not. There's inflation everywhere in the supply chain. And so how much that's going to settle, we don't know yet. I think we're in agreement that it's never going back to, to 2019 FOB prices. We didn't go back to, to $3,000 a container, right? We're at that middle number, right? And uh, that could be, you know, uh, 10000 9,000, 11,000, that might be a new range, right? Um, and, and, and of course, that's, that's totally subject to demand and capacity and demand for consumer goods and how fast inventory is moving in, in, in North America. So last question, always the most difficult to really answer, is if there's so much uncertainty, what can we control? Is there anything that people could do to forecast a little bit better and figure out how to you know, make these financial projections, plan, you know, so that they're not going out to the street, giving wrong projections and missing. And we see stocks crumbling 25 percent in a day. As a silver lining in all this could be um, one that the stakeholders focus on the systemic issues that need fixing. And I think on the Trans-Pacific slash port congestion issue, you have you know, the four or five pillars that people are talking about, which is use of advanced data, better use of data. Alba Wheels Up, our company has data on every everything we touch, on every customer. We have, you know, data on everything. But the next company has their data. And, and it's the same with the terminals. Each terminal has their own data set. So if you look at the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach, both ports are talking about optimizing advanced data to, to, to you know, an optimizer that would give us, you know, more of a, a shared database so that people can project and plan. You know, we do it for our customers, but 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 something port wide that's not specific to terminals that that le- really leverages technology to get advanced data on on what containers are coming and where they're going and what containers are staying in Los Angeles and what containers are leaving. The other thing I think, um, which I don't think is going to be an immediate remedy, is that what you saw in 2021 was an increase in activity from the federal government. So you saw um, uh, H.R. 4995, which was Garamendi Johnson, the Ocean Shipping Reform Act, which uh, will give the Federal Maritime Commission a little bit more leverage um, in looking at things like demerge and detention with the carriers, looking at carrier policy, looking about the, looking at the decisions carriers make about equipment, about chassis, about containers, about which which containers could go on which chassis. So um, the two areas where I see, you know, movement is that uh, more engagement on fair business practices, um, maybe more uh, uh, more prudence on the part of the carriers and terminals on demerge and detention, which killed people in 2020, 2021 on demerge and detention. A lot of apparel folks, uh, you know, had unbudgeted, you know, unexpected expenses there. Um, and then I, I think the data and technology issue and the uh, carrier policy issue are the two areas that could that could that could uh, change change things. Vincent, um, always a pleasure to, to speak with you. Your insight is very valuable, and I know our audience really appreciates it. Um, look forward to connecting soon.
Yeah, thanks so much. This was great. And uh, uh, always, always a great discussion. You guys are always on the right topic. So I'm happy to participate. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.